just so overjoyed that you're able to be with us. Uh, if you're joining us from our wider community family around the globe, I just want to mention a couple nations. We do this each week that are joining us tonight. So let's see here. Tonight we have Argentina. Welcome. Austria. Belgium. Belize. Brazil. Bulgaria. Canada. Colombia. England. Finland. Holland. India, Kenya, Malaysia, Mexico, Norway, Philippines, Poland, Sardinia, Singapore, Slovakia, South Africa, Spain, Sweden, Taiwan, the United Kingdom, and the United States. We welcome all of you tonight with us. We're glad that you would take time and join us as we come from Jerusalem and, and bring you worship. And we want to share with the word tonight with you as we continue in our message series. But before that, I want to just speak to our local community uh, here in Jerusalem. I was listening this week to a, a message given by Pastor Chris Hodges from Church in the Highlands. He's one of our good friends, uh, a fellow uh, Louisiana native like Pastor Chad. Um, and I was listening to, to him and he was talking about this season for them at Church of the Highlands. And he said, I'm a hugger. I need hugs. And he said, this is hard on me. And I also came from a family that was very, you know, we, we hugged a lot. And so I'm used to that. So I want to speak to our local community. We, we truly miss you all. I know it's difficult at times. I have the, the privilege as does Pastor Mike to meet with different community groups and to interact with some of our leadership team throughout the week. So we feel like we have connection, but we do realize that there's many of you that we don't get to see during this time. And we, we just want to let you know, send you some special love tonight, a hug, virtual hug for you tonight. We miss seeing you here in this place. And we do look forward to the day that we can all gather back together and we can hug each other in person. But I want to welcome you and just let you know we're thinking of you and we're grateful for you. Um, if you're joining us online for the first time tonight, welcome to you as well. We're glad that you found us. And uh, again, we just hope that you sense God's spirit tonight. And we hope that you're encouraged and uplifted as we discuss his word and continue on our topic. So without further ado, we're going to continue. Three weeks ago, we started into a new series called Transforming Power. Uh, I began this, this series again three weeks ago. Pastor Chad continued last week. And we're going to pick up again tonight. In this series, and I titled this message, Expectation. Expectation, Transforming Power, Expectation. And I, I titled it this because I believe we should have an expectation of God's transforming power working in and through us. And that's one of our points I'm going to put up on the screen. I believe we should have an expectation of God's transforming power working in and through us. Why? Because I believe our expectations of God speak to what we truly believe about him and his power. Let me say that again. I believe that our expectations of God it really speaks about what we truly believe about him and his power. If, if I don't have any expectations at all of God, uh, do I truly believe that he can do anything? You know, God, I don't expect you to do anything. Uh, I, I expect God and his power to be able to do beyond what I can imagine. I'm going to fix this mic here. Um, it's recorded in, in all, actually three of the gospel accounts. This story, it's in Matthew chapter 8, Mark chapter 4, and Luke chapter 8. You know the story. Uh, Yeshua is out on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. Um, he falls asleep in the boat. A storm comes up, and they are freaked out. They are like, Lord, we're going to die. And, and finally, they, they wake him up. And they said, we're going to die unless you do something. And Mark, in his gospel, records Yeshua's words to them as, as this. He says, why are you fearful? 
do you still have no faith? And, and I paraphrase that as this. This is Ray's paraphrase version. Um, why are you losing it? <laughs> Don't you expect that God can act? And his rebuke for them in this context was, I don't believe, for their fear, which is, is natural. It's a tendency for us as human beings. But for their failure to expect God to act, which fueled their fears. It's like they said, well, God's not going to listen to us, but you should, you better wake up and you better say something. And he's saying, don't you even think I could do something? Do you not even have an expectation of me? And then he speaks to the wind and he speaks to the water and everything calms down and they look at him and they go, oh, who is this guy? Because before they had no expectation of him, of what he was able to do. Now, when we talk about expectations and we, we use it in the context of life, or let's say even in the context of business, we often use phrases like this. Uh, we need to manage expectations. Anybody ever heard that? We need to manage expectations. And why, why do we say things like this? I was questioning this as I was preparing for this message. Why do we say this? And it's, it's because of this. Because each of us has experienced the feelings and emotions of unmet expectations. Okay? Now, I'm going to give you a couple examples. Maybe this is true. You can raise your hand. Or you can say amen. Maybe this isn't you. Um, for example, you were frustrated that the item that you bought online on Amazon was half the size you thought it was, and it wasn't the color that you thought it was in the picture when it showed up. So you're frustrated. That was an unmet expectation. Um, you're disappointed that if you're you know, a young person, you're in a relationship, and uh, you're disappointed that the boy or girl that you're in the relationship with isn't serious about your relationship. There's an unmet expectation. Maybe they don't even know. Uh, you're upset as a parent that your children don't clean up their room without being told to do so. I think parents would raise their hands to that one. Um, you were hurt maybe by your boss because he overlooked you for a promotion or an open position. And you're like, why didn't he choose me? And, and there's an unmet expectation there. I was listening with my wife to a podcast recently. And they were talking about expectations. And it was quite funny because one of the commentators of this podcast said... Uh, that expectations, this is what he said, expectations are premeditated resentments. <laughs> expectations are premeditated resentments. In other words, you thought about it beforehand. You set yourself up for it beforehand. Now, I would only add one word to this, to that phrase. I would say unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations are premeditated resentments. Let me give you an example. Uh, I know there's a few of us in this room. Tyro, our, our lead sound man, he's going he's gonna to say amen to this. If I go to McDonald's and I get a Big Mac and I have the expectation that that Big Mac is going to taste like a beautiful entrecote steak that Tyro grills on the grill to perfection, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> I'm going I'm to take a bite of that hamburger and I'm going to be, this is not what I expected. And that's an unrealistic expectation. There's no, nothing to base that on. That's an unrealistic expectation. So I've set myself up going into that for disappointment. However, realistic expectations, listen to me, realistic expectations can be good. And we shouldn't feel bad about having them, even if they are unmet. I should be able to have realistic expectations of my children. I should be able to have 
realistic expectations of the people that are working with me and teams and serving with me. I should even have realistic expectations of God and his power. I should be able to have those, and I, I shouldn't feel bad about that. But often, our unrealistic expectations set us up for negative feelings and emotions. And this is what happens ultimately as, as this compounds over time, as these emotions and these hurts and these feelings compound over time, we can become, to be cautious, we can become cautious in our expectations of God and of others and attempt to protect ourselves from additional hurts. We can, it's like building a wall. We, we can build a wall around our, our, our person to protect, our, protect us from uh, what we expect to be a pain or hurt. And this is not healthy in relationships. It's not healthy when we build walls between each other because we don't want to be hurt. We have to learn to trust one another. We have to learn to trust God. And I also think tonight we're continuing again. Our, our series is transforming power. So we're talking about the word, the power. And as I said in the beginning, I, I think we should have an expectancy of God's power in us. But sometimes that's viewed negatively because I think this word power in our world, in our culture, has taken on some negative context. Let me come back to this. We've seen, I think we've all seen, we've all seen and we've experienced leaders, governments, or people around us that abuse power or they, they, they run after it and they use it to, to lord it over people, to abuse people. And I believe these abuses can cause us to become concerned about the idea of the pursuit of power, the expectation of power, because, well, we just think everybody wants power so that they can abuse it. People would think, well, you just want to control everything. You just want to control the world. And again, the assumption in that, the, the assumption in that idea is that the intention is to receive it in order to abuse it or to use it for your own good. But I want to kind of set some boundaries for it. And this is our next point tonight, some boundaries for this. Listen to this. Our expectation of God's power working in and through us should be based on our alignment with God's purposes. Let me read that again. Our expectation, which we should have, of God's power working in and through us should be based on our alignment with God's purposes. You see, our expectation of God's power is not for our purposes or for our status. We can say, look at me. Our expectation of God's power is to enable us to serve him and his purposes effectively. Do you understand? It's, it's, it's we, God, we need you to empower us. We pursue this because we need this from you in order to serve you effectively. But often we come to God with what we desire to do and how we desire to serve him. I was reminded uh, this past discipleship semester, I was teaching with Pastor Vaco in, here, in the, the track on hearing from God. And we came from the, a, we used the text from a book from uh, Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. And I had taught from this book in a previous discipleship uh, semester. And it's a wonderful book. I recommend it here. It's called Experiencing God. And, but in this section of the book, he says this. He, he titled it, God's Purposes, Not Our Plans. And I want to read this to you. He said this. To live a God-centered life, you must focus on God's purposes, not your own plans. 
Try to see things from God's perspective rather than from your distorted human view. When God starts to do something in the world, he takes the initiative to tell someone what he is doing. And out of his grace, God involves his people in accomplishing his purposes. And we can see this reality worked out in the scriptures as we look at the different stories. It's, the scriptures is really the story of God at work in the earth and bringing people into alignment with his plans. Let's use a couple examples. Abraham didn't come to God and say, hey God, I have this great idea of how you can bless me and bless the rest of the world. God, got this great idea. God said, Abraham, I am going to bless you and I'm going to bless all the families of the earth and I'm going to use you to do it. Moses didn't come to God and say, God, hey, I know your people are in slavery in Egypt. I got this great plan for how we can get them out. It's not how it happened. God said, I'm going to free my people from their bondage. Moses, I'm going to use you to do it. Mary didn't say, God, I have a great way that you could deliver the Messiah to humanity. Will you listen to me? But God sent an angel to this, little, this young girl and said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to use you to accomplish it. You see, the most important thing, and here's another key point tonight. The most important thing is not what these individuals wanted to do for God. The critical factor was what God was about to do. Read that again. The most important thing is not what these individuals wanted to do for God. It wasn't, God, I really want to do this for you. But it was the critical factor was what God was about to do. See, I I love people. And I, I love seeing people come into their destiny. We talk a lot about God has a created destiny for us. Pastor Chad mentions it. We talk a lot about for here. And I love to see people coming into their created destiny, using their gifts and service and life and ministry. And I can say with a good conscience, I can pray with a good conscience, God, use me to help people in this area. (laughs) But if that's not God's calling for my life, I am not aligned. Even though my heart and my intention and what I want to do is good, but if that is not God's purpose for me or God's calling for me, I'm not aligned with God's purposes. Now, people would say, I, I, don't, I don't want to be disappointed <laughs> with what God wants me to do or I don't want to let him down. I'm, I'm kind of afraid, actually, that God might ask me to do something that I can't do. or God, I have this fear. I, I don't know that I want to know. And I, and I would ask you, who do we believe God is. Who do we believe he is? I, I had this picture when I thought about this. I don't believe God is in heaven with the giant wheel of destiny. If you can imagine this big wheel, like a game show wheel on a stand, and God is in heaven, and he looks at the angels and says, okay, who do we have today? Okay, Ray Ramirez. All right, Gabriel, spin the wheel. And the wheel spins, and all of a sudden, stop. Okay, pastor with an emphasis on worship. Okay, write that down, good. That's not God. That's not who God is. And it doesn't take us much to realize that's not the God we were introduced to in the Bible. If we just go back to Genesis and we look at Adam, God didn't first make Adam and say, okay, I've got this man, now what am I going to do with him? Here's Adam. Okay, Adam, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Let me, let me think of something. God had a plan for creation. Then he created Adam. The God that we serve, the God that we serve, 
knew each one of us intimately before we were born. And he crafted each one of us for a specific purpose that he wants to accomplish in the earth. He's not spinning a wheel and, okay, there it is, that's good. He, he had an intention when he created us. And our job is to come into alignment with God's purpose and his intention for us. Now, when we come to God, unfortunately with an unrealistic expectation of what we want to do for him. Even, even if our desire is, is right, it's something good, it's, it's not something that would be, be bad, but our desire is something, God, I really want to do this. I want to serve you in this way. But it's, it's not God's intention. We will meet an unmet met expectation and we will face feelings of disappointment. God, why didn't you help me? God, why didn't you empower me? And it's not because God isn't able, but it's because we weren't aligned with his purpose. Now, if we're not careful, the devil will use these moments to call God into question. He'll use these moments for us to say, is God really who you think he is? How come he didn't help you? How come he didn't empower you to do this? So I want to come back to this key point. We should have an expectation of God's transforming power working in and through us. And it should be based on our alignment with God's purposes. It should be based on our alignment with God's purpose. Now I want to turn to our text tonight. We're going to look at a text in the book of Ephesians. We're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 1. Before we get there, I just want to throw you a... Side note that I, I found interesting as I was reading this, this letter this week. Um, as you know, probably this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And in the early manuscripts, what I found, in the early manuscripts of this letter, it actually wasn't addressed to the Ephesians. It said it was addressed to the faithful saints. Um, later manuscripts added to the faithful saints in Ephesus. And so there's a, a, a consideration for some scholars, or speculation that this letter was actually sent to all of the believing communities that Paul had connected with, like a chain letter. It was sent to all of them, and it was passed on, and then the later copies came because it was addressed specifically to this one. But there would have been, to the, to the, uh, to the believers in Philippi, to the believers in Ephesus, to the believers in Corinth, there would have been these letters repeated. So that's, a, that's an interesting side note. That's, that was free tonight just for you. Uh, <laughs> but chapter one in this letter, where we're going to pick up, I want to just give us a little setup before we start reading. Um, it begins with a small greeting, a short greeting from Paul. And he gives praise to God for his blessings, God's blessings to us as his children. And then he continues by giving some in- insights into the redemptive work of the Messiah. And then he begins to speak about what our inheritance, our inheritance in the Messiah. And that's where we pick up here in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. So if you'll turn with me, Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 15. It says this, This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Yeshua and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. So again, because of the redemptive work of the Messiah, because of God's gifts to us, because of 
the inheritance we have in him. And since I heard about your faith in these things and in the Lord Yeshua, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Now, throughout this letter, we hear over and over again Paul repeatedly speaking of how he is praying for the community of faith. And I honestly believe that this was just part of the ebb and flow of Paul's life. This was something he exercised regularly. It wasn't something he did from time to time. This was part of his regular life, to pray for the believing communities. And we're going to continue in Ephesians 1, beginning of verse 17. It says this, I pray that the God of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the perception of your mind might be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe? According to the work of his vast strength. Again, the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe. So here... In this passage, Paul continues to express his heart as he's praying for the community. And in verse 18, we, we really kind of get to the heart of why he's praying for them. And I, and I believe if I could put it in my own words, what Paul is really expressing in this is something I think we, if you're a parent, you've expressed this. If you're a leader, you've, you've expressed this probably, is that we see so much potential that we have a feeling um, that I know where you are today but I know there is so much more for you <laughs> my, my oldest son just had his birthday on Friday and as I look at him and he's growing up and I see so much potential in him and I pray God help him help me as his father to teach him to, to develop that potential of who he is and I believe this is really the prayer of Paul I know where you are today and I'm grateful that you have confessed your faith and following the Messiah, but I see so much for you, and that's why I'm praying for you. And it's not just where you are, but I pray that God will help you to realize what he has for you. He sees beyond what is currently the reality, and he prays for what he believes could and should be for these believers. And let's look at what he prays for. He prays for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him and the knowledge of God. So we've talked about wisdom before. For me, wisdom is the ability to make right choices. That is wisdom. And the Bible says the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. What does that mean? It is keeping God in his rightful place, in his right perspective. So Paul prays for a spirit of wisdom to keep God in his rightful place that would give them the ability to live their life in proper perspective. He prays for revelation in the knowledge of him. Revelation, the ability to recognize God's will and what he's actively doing in the world and, and helping God's spirit, helping them align, again, align themselves with God's purpose. He continues, that the perception of your mind might be enlightened. And this literally translates in English to the eyes of your heart may be opened. We used to sing a song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That the eyes of your heart may be opened to know what is the hope of his calling. So Paul's saying, I pray that you'll get spiritual insight, not 
eyes that see through human wisdom, but spiritual insight to, to know what is the hope of his calling, that living of your life for his purpose can transform the world around you. See the potential in the world around you to know what are the glorious riches of his inheritance. You know, Yeshua's inheritance for us is eternal life. I, I don't know that any of us can fully comprehend what that is or what it will look like. But he's saying, God, give them spiritual eyes to begin to, to even fathom or begin to understand these things. To know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe. To know his ability to help us accomplish his work. I heard a pastor teach on this recently, and he said it this way. And I really liked how he worded it. He said, to summarize this, God, help me to see as you see, so that I will do as you say. Help me to see as you see, so that I will do as you say. Give us spiritual eyes, God, to align our thinking with your purposes. This truly is the work of the Spirit of God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. This brings us to our next point. We used this before. The Spirit of God dwells in us. And the Spirit of God dwells within us, that dwells within us, is given to help us reform our desires so that they mirror the desires of God and to empower us to serve God effectively. Let me just read that one more time. The Spirit of God that dwells within us is given to reform our desires so that they may mirror the desires of God and empower, and He's there to empower us to serve God effectively. So, with that, what should the outcome of a transforming power operational, what should that outcome, what should it produce in us? I wrote a few things here. It should produce an alignment of our thoughts with God's plans and purposes through the wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God, which Paul prayed for. It should bring an alignment of our actions to be at his service a knowledge of the hope of his calling, what he's called us to do, our purpose that he's given for us, should produce a knowledge of the riches of his inheritance, should produce a knowledge of the immeasurable greatness of his power to us to believe, to empower us to serve effectively. If we skip down a little bit in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning of verse 14, Ephesians 3, verse 14, Paul again is praying... As I said, he does quite a few times in this letter. And he says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father for whom, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, and I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints, what is the length, listen to this, the length and the width, the height and the depth of God's love. And to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness, with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Yeshua the Messiah to all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
So he begins this passage, he starts by saying, um, for this reason I deal before the Father. So let me first just answer that. What, what was the reason? Well, in the beginning of chapter 3, uh, Paul sets this up. And, sorry, one second. I need to come back to my notes here. Um, the beginning of chapter 3, Paul starts to share about his calling to the Gentiles. And he, he's talking about how God has given him a special or unique grace to be a messenger to the Gentiles. And that this was God's work, his pur- God's purpose for him and what he had been called to. And I, and I said to the team tonight, I, I think he actually looked at these people as God's gift to him. He looked at these communities as God had gifted these communities to him, to him for him to be able to work out the power of God in his life, for God to use him and to grow these people. So that's where he starts with, I have this special grace. I have been called to the Gentiles. So it is for this reason that I kneel before the Father. And then he continues in his prayer. Now, he continues, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that, it, that works in us. So I believe here Paul clearly indicates that he has an expectation that the power of God is at work in the life of every believer. We should have an expectation of this power. And as I mentioned before, we can have a hesitancy to this for different reasons. Um, we, we can have a hesitancy, again, for some of the negative reasons that I mentioned, because we're afraid, oh, people are just going to think, you know, power hungry. Or, or But remember, there's, there's, there's boundaries for this. And let me remind us of that, because we can become concerned about the pursuit of power. But let's keep in mind how this works. And I'm going to remind us of one of our key points we read before. We should have an expectation of God's transforming power working in and through us, and it should be based on our alignment with God's purposes. Not our plans, not our desires, not what we want to do for him, but what God has called us to do. And you see, Paul was no stranger to an abuse of power. In fact, he wrote this letter sitting in prison. Was he imprisoned for reasons that he did something wrong? (laughs) Or that someone leveraged power and authority over him? So he was not not immune to to the idea of abusive power, but he doesn't shy away from this idea. He doesn't shy away from this idea of the power of God at work in us. You see, the, the, the real issue is not power. The real issue is not power. The issue is our unrealistic expectations of God's power and our misuse of it. That's the issue. You see, in this letter, Paul gives us the example of God's power working. And he gives us the boundaries and he gives us the example. And I want to pick up where we left off in Ephesians chapter 1. So we're going to jump up, back up to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 20. And he says this. He demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler 
and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. You see, verse 19, just before this, ended with this. Immeasurable, the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe. He demonstrated this power. And he demonstrated it in the life of Yeshua. And Yeshua exampled for us how God's power should be utilized. He showed us. He gave us the example. You see, Yeshua never leveraged his power or authority for his own sake, but always for the sake of others. Philippians, Paul says, he never considered equality with God something to be grasped or something to be taken a hold of or something to be used for his own advantage. You see, Yeshua had all authority, all power. And in fact, if you, if you go to the Gospels, there's an interesting flow of, of events because it says Yeshua became aware that all power and authority had been given to him. And you know what the next thing that's recorded in the Gospel, the next thing that he does puts an apron around his waist and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. So here he is fully aware that God has put everything under, under his control and he submits himself and he humbles himself. You see, the reason why God elevated Yeshua to be far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, is because Yeshua exemplified humility. He submitted and he aligned himself with the purposes of God. And it wasn't always easy. We can read in the garden, he says, God, if this could be taken from me, so be it, but not my will, but your will be done. And even when it was, wasn't, wasn't easy, he aligned himself with the purposes of God for his life. We talked about this in our magnetism series a few, reason, a few weeks ago. And the issue really is pride. See, the problem with pride is that it wants us to assume the role of God, not to align with him, but to assume the role. And we cannot both be God. He can't be God and we be God at the same time. We can't both occupy the same role. And James said in James chapter four, humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you and he will exalt you. He will raise you up to himself. And that's what we see in the person of Yeshua. He humbled himself to God's purpose for his life and God exalted him. God set him up above every authority. And that brings us to our next point. We should have an expectation that God's transforming power working in and through us in alignment with God's purposes will produce a life worthy of God's calling. We read that again. We should have an expectation that God's transforming power working in and through us in alignment with God's purposes will produce a life worthy of God's calling. Paul really says it this way, a life that is walked worthy of the Lord and his calling. And that's in Ephesians chapter four. Let me read it for you. Ephesians chapter four, beginning in verse one. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the spirit with the peace that binds us. He says it a different way in Colossians. He says this in Colossians chapter one, beginning of verse nine. 
For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. There he is, he's praying again. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened, listen to this, with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. So what does a life worthy of the calling we receive look like? <laughs> Let me tell you what it's not first. It's not perfection. A call worthy is not perfection. That is not in the bar. Is not perfection. Why do I say that? Because perfection implies that there's no need for further development. But Paul clearly says here that we should walk worthy. A, a, a walk that is worthy is growing in the knowledge of God. Perfection implies you've come somewhere and that's it. It's done. doesn't need to be changed. But Paul's clearly saying a walk that is worthy is one that is growing. So it's not perfection. So we don't set the bar that, okay, you know, a worthy life, I have to be perfect. Okay? But we set the bar at a worthy life is this. It's a life that is working to submit itself to God's purposes and plans with loving obedience. Becoming fully pleasing to God. It's a life that as it grows in submission and loving obedience and through the working of God's transforming power that bears fruit in every good work and continues to grow in the knowledge of God. So we should have an expectation tonight, guys, of God's power. We should have an expectation of God's power working in us as we align ourselves with his purposes. We should have an expectation that the outcome of God working through his power in us and through us will produce a life that is worthy as we're growing in him. I want to close tonight with the words that Paul actually ends this letter in Ephesians with in chapter 6 because I believe there's an application for us to catch specifically in this season that we find ourselves in today. And it's a little bit off of our topic, but I, I, believe, I believe it's applicable. And I wanted to close with this tonight. Because, again, as I was reading through this letter a few times this week, and considering, I, I was really taken back by the number of times that, that Paul refers to the fact that he's praying for the community. And, I, and how he specifically says, this is what I'm praying for you. And I, I was just really caught by that. And in fact, in his prayer in chapter one, he says that he's continually giving thanks to God for the believers. Now, I find myself praying, I find myself, I'm going to use myself as an example. I find myself praying for people a lot. <laughs> uh, but I can't say honestly, folks, that I find myself giving thanks for people. I find myself praying for people. God, change that person. <laughs> God, work in their life, or God, heal that person, or, or, or their requests, or their needs. But I, I honestly say, this, this was convicting to me, I don't often find myself, God, thank you for this person. Thank you for the community of faith. And that challenged me. And I believe it's because, I said this before, I believe it's because God saw these believers as God's gift to him. 
the space or the place where God would work in Paul's life and develop him and grow him and through God's power working through him would work out into these other people. So they were a gift brought by God to him to allow him to work out the power of God in his life and to move it outwardly to the people that he was ministering to. I don't believe that Paul's gratefulness expresses an idealistic view of people. <laughs> I don't think he thought these people were all perfect. Uh, you know, God, I'm really grateful because they're so good. And I, I don't believe that was his view. Because Paul in his letter, he talks about a lot of things about how we should live, especially in the, the letter of Ephesians. He talks about how wives and husbands should live, how children and parents. So he, he didn't view these people as, hey, they've got it all figured out. But I believe he saw these people as his gift from God to minister to. And and in chapter 6, verse 18, this was our closing passage tonight. He says this. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all saints. Let me read that again. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and requests and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray with at all times, pray without ceasing, some translations say in the spirit. Then he encourages them to stay alert and, and with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Now let me remind us of the context of what he's writing this. He's in prison. <laughs> he can't go anywhere. He can't go visit people. So Paul of all people should have felt powerless. How can I help them? I can't go to them. I can't do something for them. How can I help these people? He should have felt powerless, but he did not feel powerless. But he remained powerful in prayer for those the Lord had called him to serve. See, what I believe Paul is implying through this exhortation is this. Regardless of where you find yourself or the circumstances of the world around you, prayer and intercession is a vehicle for you to exercise the transforming power of God at work in you on behalf of those around you. So tonight as we close, I just want to take a moment to give some thought to a few things. And I also want to just commend some of the people in our community. I really honestly want, we have a wonderful group of intercessors in this community, I get texts on, a reg- texts on a regular basis. Pastor Ray, we're praying for you. We're praying for the message. We're praying for the service. We're praying for the worship team. How can we pray for your family? And I, I can't name these people by name, but I'm thankful for these people. I'm thankful for their humility and their willingness to align themselves with God's purpose for their life. Uh, it's, it's wonderful and, and it means a lot and, and I just want to say I'm thankful and I'm, I'm challenged I'm, I'm motivated by who they are in my own life so I, I just want us to give some thought tonight to have we given any thought to how we can be in prayer for the community around us have we given thanks to God for the community around us, for the people around us. In our prayer times, have we been asking the Holy Spirit to empower us, to give us guidance on how to pray for the people around us? 
And I think, again, this is just something for us to ponder in our hearts. God, would you, would you challenge us that even in the midst of feeling powerless, God, your power is still at work in us. So there are things that we can do. And I want to close with this statement. There may be many things that we are not able to do at this moment, but we are not powerless. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. And God, like Paul, I thank you for this community that you have given to us, God, as a gift. I thank you for every person, every family, God, that you have given to this community as a gift. God, and I pray that you would help us, Lord, to align our purposes, what we, what we think we should be doing. Help us to align that by the power of your spirit with what you desire, your purpose, your destiny, your calling for us, God. For we know in that, God, that you will empower us to accomplish the work that you call us to. God, let us never take for granted the power that you have given to us, the power that you have exampled for us through your Son. And God, I pray for each one of us tonight, Lord, as we go on in this week, Lord, maybe we, may we be reminded that we are not powerless. You are with us. We ask this in the mighty powerful name of Yeshua. Amen.